Well, I just am so excited to be able to share with you. Um, I, I have been given a deadline, as you know, and and that's really hard. For I'm a full, I'm an ordained Methodist minister and a teacher, fully accredited teacher. So it's hard to get anything inside an hour or 50 minutes. Um, most of our classes are a lot longer. So I'm going to try to work myself through this, and uh, he's given me deadlines to work from, and so. I'll, I'll stay to that. Um, but I am very thankful, thankful to be here. I'm thankful that I could have time to come and share uh, in Keith's church. It's the first time I've been in your church. It's a beautiful church. And uh, he says you're beautiful people, so that's exciting too. Uh, today is the Sunday before Labor Day, as you know. And uh, I, I was just kind of thinking about how we might look at life and think about being efficient in labor. And I'm speaking with regard to us as Christians. So I want to share a couple of verses with you real quick. And then I'm going to, I'm going to lead us a story in a story a little bit. And, and make some applications all in 50 minutes or so. Second uh, Timothy 2.15 says this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly explaining the word of truth. Now... Uh, you know, in, in many ways, that's to a preacher, a young preacher, but it's also to every Christian because we are all called to be messengers. And so we want to be people who rightly divide the truth, ones who explain the word of truth in a way that others can hear. And I'm going to talk about what that looks like as we go. There's another verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Well, I really think that as a Christian, I want to be effective in the labor of sharing the message of Jesus with others. I want to be effective. I want to be efficient. I want to be someone who makes a difference, and I do it well. Uh, I, I want that uh, good and faithful servant kind of title when Jesus looks at my life in the future. So today I want to share with you a story that comes uh, from this kind of idea. Uh, this, this concept of blind, it's about the blind beggar that Jesus affects on the road to Jericho. Uh, I do want to say, uh, just, it just hit me while we were sitting there, that my wife has kind of experienced this in the last two or three weeks. Uh, she had her cataracts removed uh, the last couple of weeks, and uh, it has just opened her eyes completely so that she doesn't have to have glasses uh, she said for the first time she could see colors clearly. Uh, I mean, you know, you just never know what a person's dealing with. Uh, for her, everything was kind of dull and, and yellowish because she thought that was the way it was. But her eyes have been opened, and that's kind of really cool that I'm talking about the blind man here. Well, you know the story here of this uh, blind man, maybe. Uh, Jesus is coming into Jericho. And he is making his way like any dignitary into this city. And Jericho has a long history. You know that history. Uh, as he's coming into the city, it's kind of, it's kind of like... Uh, are you Auburn fans? Okay. It's kind of like Tiger Walk. Right? Or maybe, uh, I think at Alabama we call it the Walk of Champions. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's what... <laughs> 
<laughs> but you know, if you've ever been to one of these, you know how it is. If you're way down in, there's so many people you can't see. You can sense the coming of the players and the coach, right? You can just sense that movement coming. Uh, I like to explain about how when I used to live in the New York area, New Jersey, uh, I used to go into New York City, and a lot of times I'd go down to the subways, and, you know, you, you, you would have tons of people there, and you can hardly tell when the subway's going to hit and when it's coming. But the one thing you could know was it was coming when the wind ahead of it was pushed to you. You could just sense the wind coming through the tunnels, and it would hit you long before the, 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 the subway actually got there. But that's kind of the situation here. Jesus is walking up. He's crowded. Everybody's around him. And as he's coming, this, there's a blind man in, who's begging on the side of the road near Jericho. And he's sitting there, and he's done this for years. And he can tell, he can sense the coming presence of somebody important. He can just tell it, the, the, the noise, the push that's happening. All the noise just seemed to say something big's happening. So he asks someone, he says, uh, what's happening? What, what's going on? And they say, well, that preacher, Jesus of Nazareth, is coming. And immediately, immediately he begins to cry out. He begins to say this to these people. He says, Son of David, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And you know the story. People started saying, shut up. I mean, this is an important dignitary. You're a beggar. Hush. And he started crying louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And I would holler here, but you know what I'm talking about, right? And Jesus stops right in the middle of the road, and he says, bring that guy over here. And then he speaks to him, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, we'll talk about that in a minute, but he says, well, I'd like to see again. It's interesting to me that a lot of times we think he's never seen, but he evidently has seen in the past. He says, I'd like to see again. And Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go, you're healed. And he gets up and he starts following Jesus as he goes in in excitement and joy and begins, it says, to glorify God and all the people that saw it began to glorify God and give praise to God. Now, in that short story, it only takes just a small portion of chapter 18 of Luke, we have some of the greatest in-depth story message for us as believers. And I want to bring these up today and, and get them said fairly fast. The first thing that we can see in this story that I think impacts us is the fact that our needs must be met by Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, something in this young man or older man knew that the person who was the source of healing was this Jesus of Nazareth, right? It doesn't give us any details here. He just says, who's coming? And somebody says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he begins to cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the reality here is that the blind man somehow knew that Jesus was the means of healing. He was the means of healing. 
And it's interesting to me that he is willing to do anything to get help. I mean, after all, he's a beggar. Nobody likes beggars. I mean, you know, a lot of us, when we drive up the exit and we see that guy standing on the road saying, I need some money, we look the other way. We don't look him in the eye because it kind of bothers us a little bit, right? That's the way beggars were. They, they, they were out there and they were visible. And here, he just has to have help. And he begins to scream, Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. And when people tell him to shut up, to hush, he just screams louder. He realizes my needs can be met by this Jesus, and I am determined to get help somehow. I I just think one of the things that we need to realize as as young Christians, and I think this kind of goes in in one of those uh, points right here, I think we need to know that Jesus is the means of finding help. Human beings by nature tend to be people who depend on ourselves. We, we just do. I mean, you, you know the story of Israel. When I teach the Old Testament, one of the things that we focus on is the idea that human beings tend to de- be self-reliant, that we don't need God if things are going well. Most of the time, the times we cry out to God are when things go bad. And here, I think the message we have with this, this, this blind man is, he knew Jesus was his source of help, and the only one that could do what was necessary to help him see. And so he became determined to find help from him. And I'm going to say to us as Christians here, if there are needs that we have in our lives, we need to identify the source of help to get those needs met. That source is Jesus. And we need to go after that source with all our being. The second thing that comes very interesting here to me is that he asks an odd question. When he brings the the blind man to him, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, that's an odd question to me, right? Duh. (laughs) I'm blind. I'm sitting on the side of the road. I need help. But you know, there's a precedence here that we can kind of see. Jesus oftentimes meets needs that are not first seen. You remember the story of the guy let down through the roof? You remember that story? Where his four friends have a paralyzed friend and they let him down. They tear up somebody's roof because Jesus is in there. And they let him down through there. What does Jesus say to him? Does anybody remember? Your sins are forgiven you. And everybody looks at him like, what's wrong with you? He's paralyzed. And Jesus says, knowing that, he says, you know, just so you know that I am the Son of Man, stand up and walk. The reality here is that in many cases, we don't really know so much about what it is we have need for. We identify certain things as our needs that really aren't our ultimate needs. We look at our life and we think, this is what I need. I'll be happy if I have this. How many times have we made that mistake, right? If I just have this, I'll be happy. In reality, Jesus goes to the need where we really have a problem. 
A lot of us will look at it like the blind man. What is the most obvious thing? But I think Jesus always goes to the point of saying, I want to meet the real need, the underlying need. And he does this on numerous occasions. In this particular case, he just wants him to identify. I mean, honestly, if we're going to get help from Christ, we're, we've got to identify our needs. We've got to really know what's in our hearts that needs fixing. Uh, you're familiar with AA, right? Alcoholics Anonymous says that one of the first things you have to do is to identify you either have a drug addiction or alcohol problem. And so that's why every time there's a meeting, the first thing that a person says when they come to the front is, Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a drug addict. Why? Because you have to find evidence of truth before you can find evidence of healing. In this particular case, Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, it, it, it does turn out to be healing of his sight. But he does have to identify this. And there's no question that God knows his need already. He needed to verbalize it. And I, and I would say this to us as, as believers. If things aren't working like they should in our lives, if we are struggling in the things that we are dealing with in our daily lives, one of the first things we need to say, Lord, let me see my heart. Let me see what's inside of me. Let me know where my true need is. I want to identify my place of help. And then we can begin to find help for our soul. We can begin to find help and healing for what we have within us. This kind of need will not be met unless we specifically call it forth, I think. I think we have to name it by faith. I mean, it, you know, there's so many times it says, uh, ask anything in my name and it shall be done. I mean, those are promises, but those promises don't happen unless we really specifically identify them. So the, the, the thing that the, the blind man, in responding to Jesus, he was just simply identifying where his need was and then Jesus spoke to that. But we'll, we'll get further with that. The third thing that happens here is Jesus says to him, your faith has saved you. Now, again, we're going back to this idea that maybe there's something underneath this. Isn't it interesting that he's healed in his sight, but the language used here is your faith has saved you. Now, most often when we hear somebody say, I'm saved, we think of what? We think Saved from sin, right? Saved for heaven. Saved from God's wrath. So again, what it seems to say to me is that it's a spiritual need that Christ is doing here. It's kind of a double-edged healing. He heals his physical need, no question. But his faith has saved him. And so something has gone on within him that will give him life beyond just physical healing. I think that's really critical for us as we begin the process of seeking help for anything that we do uh, where we need to be healed uh, spiritually or otherwise. Um, and the fact is the healing did come through faith. Now, what is faith? Somebody just answer out. What is faith? Great. Very interactive congregation. What's faith? Huh? Believing? Okay, what else? 
Yes, correct. What else? Having confidence. Trusting, right? In my class, most students would be Googling this by now on their cell phone so that they could answer it. I got it. The reality is that, uh, you know, faith is the main thing. And faith is trust. It's giving our trust into Christ's hands. It's saying that I do believe. Uh, I can even remember that uh, case in where Jesus was dealing with someone and he said, have faith. And the guy said, you know, give me faith that I might have faith. Help me have faith. And sometimes I think it depends on us to, to say, Lord... I, I, I may not have enough faith, but I want to trust you with all that I am. I want to give you my best. I want to really believe that you can do it. And I think trust is like that. That faith is built on the idea that I can trust that what I'm asking, God will do. That he has the desire to bring healing or wholeness into my life. And so my confidence in him is, you know, it reminds me of my father. I, I knew that if there was anything that I needed, that I could trust my father. You know, I just could. If I needed to call him at two in the morning, which I did a few times, he would always answer and be kind and loving and pray for me. I knew if there was something that I needed from him, I could always trust him. I can still remember those days I lived in the kind of, I lived in Op, Alabama, just by the way, and uh, uh, kind of in the edge of the woods. And I can remember those days when I was at my neighbor's house at night, you know, and it was late and there were birds in the air and stuff. And, you know, and I just shoot like a meteor trying to get to my house before something caught me, you know. But if ever my dad was with me, absolute confidence because I knew I could trust him and I think that's what faith is right this this blind man says to Jesus I want to see and he had confidence that the one that he's talking to could do what's necessary to help him see that's so critical when we want to to begin the process of finding healing the next thing that happened is he began to follow Jesus he followed Jesus out of gratitude. I mean, really, Jesus had just healed him, and he, begun, he begins to follow him. But this is not a new pattern. Every time someone is healed or affected by Jesus in a very particular way, they always seem to say, you know, let me go with you. Just let me go with you. Let me stay with you. Remember the, the, the demon-possessed man in the garrison? Uh, you remember how that uh, no one could hold him. He was always imprisoned with chains and he would bust the chains out. He ran among the tombs and he cut himself all the time. I mean, he was a scary guy. And Jesus comes out and he runs up and you know the story how he cast the demons into the, the pigs and the pigs run off into the water. And it says that later people from the village come looking for uh, Jesus, and they find this guy sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind. That's kind of the way it states it, in his right mind. And they say, as, as kind of is typical too, they say, Jesus, we'd really rather you go somewhere else. You're a little bit scary too. And they just kind of say, please get in your boat and go back where you came from. And you remember what the healed demoniac said? Jesus, let me go with you. Let me go with you. I just want to be around you. I want to be in the presence of you. 
And I think when, when God does something great in our lives, when God speaks into our hearts, when God begins a work of healing in us, there should be this sense of gratitude that says, I just want to follow after you. I mean, isn't that really true? We want to be around those we really have faith in and confidence in. And I think that one of the things I would say for us as believers is if God has done something in our hearts, if God has done a work of healing in our lives, if God is giving you deliverance in some things in your life, I think the proper response for that is to say, you know, I want to give more of myself to you. I want to follow Jesus. Now, how do I follow Jesus? Well, one is to completely give myself in obedience to him, right? Another thing is to simply live for him on a regular basis in a, in a more devout way, if you will. Uh, I'm a Methodist minister and professor, and I have to say that John Wesley is someone I know a lot about. And one of the things that John Wesley and the Methodists talked about in the 18th century was this idea of assurance that I could know that I'm saved. And in talking about assurance, one of the things that, Jesus, that uh, John Wesley said was there are two basic ways that everybody can know that they're saved. One is an inner sense in the soul, what he called an inner seal on the soul by which I know that I'm saved. And years and years ago, they had the story of that Olympian who was a Christian. Uh, you may have uh, seen, I can't, Chariots of Fire, I think the name of the movie was. And uh, uh, his sister was getting on to him for going to the Olympics because she said, you've got a mission to go to in China, where he eventually died. But um, he turned to his sister and he said, and I remember her name was Jenny. He said, Jenny, God has given me the ability to run and run fast and I feel his pleasure when I run and that's that's the seal on the soul right that's the that's the word of God to my heart that you're okay I love you I've accepted you but you know the second thing that John Wesley said is an evidence is a changed life Oftentimes when things went well and they were preaching and led people to Christ, John Wesley would come back three months later just to check and see if things were still going well. Because a, a, if God's work was really happening, it didn't just happen quickly and go away. In fact, he called holiness habitual holiness. It's something I do consistently. Well, what's the message? Well, the message is if I want to glorify, if I want to follow after Jesus, one of the ways I'll follow Jesus is by living a life of change, becoming a change bearer in the world, bearing the name of Jesus in such a way that when people see me, they know it's Jesus. Does that make sense? A lot of times when I speak to youth, that's one of the things that, that I really encourage them to do, to understand that they are the Bible that most people are reading at school. They're the ones that people are identifying as to the legitimacy of Jesus or not. If I carry the name of Jesus, then the name of Jesus evidences to others that I am a follower. And if I truly follow him with all my heart, then I live out that in my life. In fact, you know, when I teach the Old Testament, we talk about the... Uh, 
the the uh, new the, the Ten Commandments and uh, the Ten Commandments are based in two two principles: love God with your whole being, no other gods before me, no idols, you know, honor my name, honor my day. And then the second part, love your neighbors yourself, right? No murder, no stealing, all those kinds of things. So the, the reality is, is the way that I live in my obedience and, and worship of God and the way that I live in my life around others, that, that is the evidence. So he began to follow Jesus to, to give evidence of the fact that this guy healed him. And then the last thing that comes from this, and I've only got a couple of minutes here, the last thing that comes from this is he began to glorify Jesus. To glorify God. Well, it's, it, there is a place for every one of us to say the words, I'm a follower of Jesus. There's a place for that. In fact, the whole New Testament is built on the premise that we are a witness. I always ask my students, I say, what's a witness at a trial? A witness is somebody who tells what they have seen. Right? You hear the words of Peter and John. They say, I'm just telling you what I know because I was there. And the reality is that's what we are. We're bearing witness to Christ by the way that we live and the things that we say. And at times we need to say them. Now, I know St. Francis, I think it was, uh, you know, this is one of the problems with a, an older guy that's trying to call out things that they have in this memory bank somewhere back in there. So it may or may not be St. Francis that said that, but uh, it might be Chrysostom, I don't know. But anyway, whoever said it said that, you know, I should always give testimony and if necessary with words. So much of my testimony is with my life. But the reality is there are times when I need to say a word for Christ. And he gives us those opportunities. Now, every one of you, teenage, I know some teenagers here. And, uh, you know, if they get the latest iPhone version, like, I don't know, what is it now, 6S? Is that it? They cannot wait. Students cannot wait to show it. In my classes, they cannot wait to play video games on their cell phones during my class it's not good I've even had students that I had to get on to that were playing each other in my class at the same time different areas but the reality is when you get something new and you have something great happen you just get excited about it and you want to tell somebody you want to show them you know this guy got to see again he could see trees he could see people he could see everything that was around him. He had to tell others. And you know what happened? Others noticed. And what did they do? They began to glorify God too. Well, the reality is just true, right? If I get excited, it becomes contagious. It's like a virus, right? It's exciting. I mean, could you not tell before football season started the, the energy that started getting in the air? Right? It's just like suddenly it, it, there's a new something coming, and it's exciting, and everybody can't wait. I mean, if you listen to any sportscasters, it was crazy. 24 more hours. 12 more hours in 20 minutes. I mean, it was 
nonstop. But the reality is when we're excited about something, we have to share. And that's what changes the world. A shared life. A testimony. Being a witness. So this morning, I just want to say to you as brothers and sisters of mine, that this message, this story about the blind man, it just totally makes sense. You have to know the source for, to get healing, to get help. The source is Jesus. You need to identify your needs. You need to be clear on what you're asking for. I, I remember uh, I meant to say a, a verse from St. James, uh, the fourth chapter, third verse. It says, you have not because you ask not, and you receive not because you ask with bad motives. <laughs> You know, asking for the wrong things is not the answer. Asking for the true need to be met, that's the answer. So identify that need and then ask for it. And then have faith, confidence, trust in Christ that he will meet that need. He will meet the need that is real for you. Now again, remember, sometimes he met needs they didn't know they needed, right? Guy said, I'm paralyzed, I'd like to kind of get up and run around. He said, well, you need to be forgiven first for whatever it was he had. So we need to identify the true need. Let Christ meet that need. Then we need to follow after him. Follow after him with our whole heart. Letting his name become our name in the way that we live and speak. And lastly, we need to glorify and give honor to the one that did it. Give honor to the one that did it so that others will know where to go for their own help. This morning, I just want to challenge you that if there are needs in your life, if there are things that you recognize that God has put his finger on and said, okay, here's where you need work, or here is something that I really need to affect change in. I want you to understand that the source Jesus is sufficient to meet your need. That the faith that you have, that one of the songs they sang talked about faith. Uh, what was it about a mountain? <laughs> well, one of, uh, something about mountain. Do you remember that? Said faith is, Jesus himself said, faith as small as a grain of mustard seed can tell a mountain to jump in the sea. And it will. Well, you know, God's not asking us to have that much kind of understanding of faith. I, I don't think he's asking us to kick any mountains in the sea. But what he is saying is, if you have faith in me, I will address and meet your need. So this morning, if you have a need, I would challenge you, whether you wanted to, you know, to come forward and pray. I don't know what y'all do here, but if, if it's just right there at your seat, just focus your attention on Christ and say, Lord, I identify this as a need in my life, and I want you to meet it today. And as he meets your needs, begin to walk after him with your whole heart and tell others, be a witness by letting them hear who did it for you, and they will be changed.